Hello and welcome to episode four of RocketPod. My name is Harry Damon and I'm joined today by co-host James Cuss and producer Peter Haynes. So for today's episode, we are joined by Jack Edwards. Now Jack is a social media influencer that has built a loyal fan following of nearly 300,000 subscribers as well as published his own book. He's currently only 22 years old and has done all of this while studying full-time at Durham University. Jack joins us now. Good morning, Jack. How you doing? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm good. No, no problem. How's your week been? It's been good. I've just moved into a new flat in uh, Camden, so I've got literally nothing at the moment. I've got one knife and one fork and a whole load of <laughs> So you probably just get you through anything. Yeah, it's not a very <laughs> balanced diet, but it's a good one. Exactly. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> so can you start us off by rewinding and kind of going back to the beginning and setting the scene for our audience and give us a bit of insight into kind of what your childhood was like um, and then where you found that passion for vlogging and put out your first piece of content. Yeah, I was really lucky growing up, like everything was pretty sweet. And then I was at school and I think I just wanted to work out how I could get to the next step. Maybe it was a bit kind of precocious to be like, right, well, what what are my career goals? Where am I going when I was probably 14? Um, but I really wanted to write. I knew that I loved writing and I really admired kind of journalism and that kind of thing. And so I applied when I wrote an email to all of my local newspapers being like, hey, could I write a column for you or can I contribute to your newspaper? And they were all like, no, <laughs> because you're 14 and at school and your insight into the world is not much yet. <laughs> um, and so, I don't know, maybe I'm just an attention seeker, but I was like, my vision needs to be shared with the world. <laughs> and um, so I started a blog um, to write the film reviews and the you know, book recommendations that I wanted to share in a newspaper or so I just wanted a platform to to share it um, and get some experience in writing. And so because no one else would take me, I sort of just decided to make my own platform <laughs> and sort of unexpectedly and accidentally, um, it started to grow a bit of an audience. And that's still something that <laughs> blows my mind a little bit that you actually can in this sort of a year and day and age and whatever, you can actually just create your own platform and instantly reach an audience, which I think is such a cool opportunity. Um, and then that sort of just expanded into YouTube videos that were meant to kind of contribute to the blog posts. And now YouTube is sort of my full-time gig. So it sort of happened a bit by accident. Like I never really set out to become a vlogger or a YouTuber or whatever, but, um, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So this local newspaper said no. So then you were like, I'm going to go do it myself. So you created is it the Jack Experience. Is that right? Jack Experience. Yeah. So what, what was that first bit of content you put out? What was it about? Um, it was like basically mostly holiday photos that I'd taken and also a review of the Hunger Games. I think the second Hunger Games film. I was like, I have opinions on this film. Therefore, I must share them. <laughs> And I don't know if anyone actually cared, but um, yeah, it was pretty much just whatever came to mind. And I think that's quite nice when you start just through sheer passion or sheer um, determination to just share the way you think or what you're thinking about um, rather than sort of, I think people today can see that you can profit from YouTube or profit from blogging or being an influencer, which is a word I absolutely hate. But if you set out to be an influencer, then you probably don't have anything interesting enough to share that will actually help you get to that platform. So 
yeah I think it's best when it kind of happens by accident <laughs> yeah and so did you what was the initial goal when you started out what what was the reason you started it all honestly for literally for one other person in the universe to read it would have been I was chuffed you know if I remember my blog at first was getting probably like 12 views a week or something and I was buzzing and probably at least seven of them were me <laughs> <laughs> but you know I think I just was I, I wanted to write and at that age I guess anyone seeing that someone in Manchester had read the work that I'd written in Sussex was just exciting to me. Um, so it sounds like you, you turned a negative into a positive in the sense that do you think that you would have taken a different route if they'd accepted your offer for to be a journalist at 14? Yeah I always there's a saying about how rejection is just redirection and as cringy and cliche as that is and as much as it should be on a poster with like a waterfall in the background and in your mum's kitchen I do actually kind of back that as a as a claim um I do think that I've tried to sort of see rejections and negatives as like an opportunity to be better and improve so that potentially in the future you could reapply and and try again but if not you've sort of set up opportunities for yourself um when perhaps other people aren't just going to give them to you on a on a platter <laughs> so yeah I think yeah, it's I, for me, it's all about just turning those things into a, a positive opportunity to, you know, I don't want to just give up and go, OK, well, one publication has said that they won't hire a 14 year old and the other three I applied to just didn't even reply to my email. Um, I might as well do something in the meantime while I wait. So I wanted to ask, so you went from Jack Experience and then it wasn't straight away that you went into YouTube. So what made you decide to transition to YouTube and start doing that? Um, I think getting more confident with presenting myself online and looking for new avenues to do it. That's the thing with social media. It's like even recently TikTok has become one of the biggest platforms. And I remember at first, um, when TikTok first launched, they emailed me and said like, we will pay you essentially to create an account and start producing content on this platform. And I just kind of, you know, poo-pooed it a little bit. I was like, no, I, I sort of dismissed it as odds. Oh, I don't want to start on a brand new platform when I have my current ones. And who would have known at that stage that it would now be as huge as it is. And I, I really probably missed a trick there. Um, so I think it's just about constantly challenging yourself to grow and not getting comfortable. Like it would be very easy for me to have just stuck with the blogging that I was doing and I could still be doing it now, but I'd probably be really bored of it. Um, or who knows, maybe I would have given up eventually. Um, but I think, trying a new platform and a new way to create content was just exciting um i'd also really loved like youtubers growing up and i'd watched so much youtube as a kid so um i think i have this mentality of sometimes watching other people do things and i'm like hey i could do that i could try that um and there's no harm in it you know if no one watches the video then who cares so in so i want to quickly jump to kind of your school experience actually so from quite young age you started building this audience you had quite a few followers on all different social platforms now I'd be interested to understand kind of how you balanced it with obviously competing priorities like education friends obviously going through secondary school college that sort of thing but how did you find that experience being kind of different doing that different avenue where you said I'm going to go do this I'm going to start building a following when you've got others that are just doing the normal sort of education how did you find that and uh, could you tell us a little bit about that experience yeah I think that for me it's always been about having an interesting life and filming it as opposed to filming things that will make you interesting if that makes sense so like i didn't want to make it super artificial and set things up just to film 
like I kind of wanted to be having a really good experience and having really good fun and then filming it. So a lot of my first YouTube videos started from just me vlogging, like when I went away on, on um, trips abroad or traveling or whatever, because it was something that I thought other people might be interested to see. Um, yeah, I, and then I kind of, the moment that it all sort of blew up, I suppose, for me was when I went to university. And that's been a real kind of, spinning a lot of plates and just hoping that none of them smash or all of them smash. <laughs> um, yeah, I've definitely been juggling a lot, um, but I kind of love it. I just love being busy and I find that I actually work at my most productive when I'm busy. Um, even when I, over the holidays sometimes, when I have a whole week of not doing anything, I'll get so much less done than I would have done in a busy week. Um, I just think I, you find time for things. If you're really passionate about it, you'll find time to do it. Um, Whereas if you're just sort of being a bit of a couch potato, it's quite easy to neglect things. And I think you appreciate the um, value of every moment. That's what I've tried to do, especially over the last three years of being at uni. Like an afternoon off or a cancelled lecture was an opportunity to make some content or, you know, get ahead of some emails or whatever and um, or think of an, a new idea for my company or, or something like that. You know, I just think making the most of every moment um, and trying to see each day as an opportunity to do something productive is a healthy mindset and it also keeps me kind of motivated all the time. Actually you know, earlier the when you got to university it's when it started really blowing up um, when did you kind of have that first real breakthrough and that realization that like maybe a first commercial deal or contract when did you start realizing actually this could this could go further? I don't know it's such a weird one because YouTube almost doesn't have a limit and there's no um, promotion you can get necessarily like there's no oh, if I work hard enough in this role and get enough experience then on merit alone I could be promoted you kind of get lucky in a way I, I find the concept of luck a bit of a strange one when it comes to putting yourself into opportunities where you can be lucky so I think that you have to set yourself up to be lucky um, in the sense that if I didn't have a channel then I wouldn't have had these opportunities, but I still feel lucky to have had the opportunities. So you kind of have to put yourself on, uh, you know, in the right area to even be able to be lucky. Um, but still with algorithms and that kind of thing, it is almost random. It feels totally like I can't predict how many views a particular video, video will get. Um, sometimes I upload something that I'm really proud of and people just don't care that much. <laughs> and sometimes I upload something that, you know, I just made for the fun of it and I didn't expect many people to watch and it blows up. Um, and that's sort of what happened with my first sort of university videos is that I vlogged my freshers week because I was so nervous as a pre-fresh, um, as someone whose family had never been to university. I just had no idea what to expect. Um, so I just filmed it to kind of show someone else in my shoes a year later. Um, what it would be like and that it would be okay and that maybe someone who was like them was experiencing it too and could relate um and that video pretty much changed my life um it's now got i don't know something stupid like four hundred thousand views but it was the thing that gave my channel momentum to start growing and so i went from having a, a thousand subscribers to ten thousand and then that became twenty five thousand and then a year later from that it was a hundred thousand and now it's at like two hundred thousand so it's it's sort of it's been exponential, but without that initial kickstart, I don't know. 
I don't know what would have happened, but um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I remember seeing a video and you reacted to getting 1,000 subscribers, yeah. and then now you're looking at 200,000 plus subscribers, and your reaction is amazing. And but all the videos, really, because again, you're so to you, it's just a passion, but you've got all these people that are so interested in it. Yeah, and it feels really rewarding as well. It's a funny one having a number sort of attached to your name, and I think it can distort your um, perception of value in terms of how you value yourself especially because there will always be someone with more subscribers than you. Like it's pretty inevitable to accept that someone will always be getting more views on their videos or getting more likes on their Instagram posts or whatever. And I, I am very conscious of not becoming a sort of slave to the numbers and, and um, basing my value of myself on my kind of relevancy. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a really interesting topic, actually, because, I mean, I tell my daughters, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, and, you know, you can't compare yourself with somebody else. How do you, on, on this subject, can we just take a little bit of a dive as far as how you um, have the journey um, that you've been on and, and how obviously that, that played a factor, but you've obviously found a way to, to deal with that. Um, and then the other question was, you, you talked about setting yourself up for success. I'm interested to know, have you always been a planner? Because um, I, I watched your vlog on, um, you know, your dissertation um, and you didn't give yourself much time. It sounds just like me. I did like same thing, pulled eight, eight days without any sleep. But you, you had very good planning in place. Um, so I wondered if that was just a learned skill or whether you've always had that. No, I got it. I'm, I'm a big believer in organized chaos. And that's probably how I would sum up my life and also my attitude to work. Um, it's kind of organized chaos. Like I, I do like making plans and I, um, I feel like I'm quite a perfectionist in the sense that when I do something, I want it to be done efficiently and well. And I struggle because I find it hard to get started in the sense that I'll do loads and loads of planning to the point where I'm like, okay, now I am absolutely certain that I can do a good job of this. And if I'm not at that stage, I find it really hard to get going. Um, so I think that's the sort of perfectionistic tendency, tendency in me, which I really hate. <laughs> um, so it is a little bit chaotic, um, but it, it kind of has worked for me to this point. Um, but in terms of kind of dealing with the YouTube side of things, in terms of measuring your relevancy or whatever, um, it's a tricky one. And I, even now that I've moved to London and I'm essentially doing this full time, I'm really aware of how your perspective can change and how I don't want to be editing my videos at 4am. I want to be like having a normal sleep pattern, even though there's nothing to wake up for specifically in the morning that requires me to get out of bed before nine, I would still like to, um, to kind of <laughs> be in the real world. Um, I think it's very easy to drift into this weird online reality that isn't reality at all. Um, where all of your colleagues also value themselves by what number is attached to their name. And, you know, I know people who, when they refer to other content creators online, they'll be like, oh, it's um, James who has 1.2 million subscribers. And I'm like, I don't want to know how many subscribers he has. I want to know if he's a nice guy. Do you know what I mean? Um, so to me, now, even now that I've moved to London and I'm doing it um, as a sort of full-time thing, I'm still looking for even a part-time job just to give me some sort of structure. I'm trying to find, you know, when I can go, when gyms reopen, because they're not open at the moment, but when they do, I, I need that structure of being like, I will go on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday every week at 9am um, to give me sort of structure and focus, because I think otherwise you, you can lose it so easily. 
and then you're in this weird pattern of kind of not doing anything yeah. <laughs> but telling your, yourself that you're busy yeah at least when you get into because you've created your own career sort of lifestyle and it, if you do use that structure you will just lie in bed till a certain time and then you realize you need to edit and stuff then it gets late in the evening exactly and then uh, at that point are you even living and is it you know yeah. <laughs> I, I'd rather be living as normal an existence as possible and filming it as opposed to just living for the camera that's a really good message that's a really good message I, I love the fact that you you know you're not yeah you're just filming everyday life and and that is really relevant for a lot of people and and it you know, it's rather than doing it for the sake of doing it, you're doing it because you enjoy doing it. And these are, this is, these are the experiences you're going through. So it's a really genuine, authentic, um, yeah, view, view of your life and the world. And, and uh, so on, on this subject, so just before you, jo you joined us this morning, um, we were talking a little bit about that, you know, that obviously COVID is the big 800 pound gorilla in the room. And you know, you talked about, you know, the days and nights blending together and it, it is a bit of a crazy time. Um, but um, how do you see that the, and you also made a comment about influencers and you don't really associate yourself with that um, side of things, but the landscape's changing with YouTube influencers and all the rest of it. Can you talk a bit about um, where you see it going? Yeah, I think the reason that I don't love the word influencer is because it implies that the primary thing you do is distort people's perceptions and make people believe what you believe. I think that is where the word influencer, because of what we understand by the term influence, it feels a little bit like you're manipulating people <laughs> and like brainwashing them. Whereas that's not really how I feel best sums up what I do. However, I think the reason that we use the term influencer is because it's a business term. So it's obviously it makes sense to the media, it makes sense to businesses, it makes sense to brands who want to work with us um, for promotion because it is a really valuable way of promoting a product. Um, I understand why they use the term influencer and why it's attached to what we do because it is the way of making sense of it. Um, so I think most people who do what I do would refer to them as kind of content, creator, um, content creators perhaps. It's weird because influencer sort of groups in the cast of Geordie Shore and, and that sort of thing who, who will promote anything. Like they would literally promote your can of deodorant if you paid them enough money to do it. So, um, you know, um, yeah, I think that that's why I find the term influencer funny because it does, it is quite an umbrella term for anyone who has a following. Um, where I see it going, I think we have seen during this time that most things can be done online or at least when we have problems or there's a lot going on and we just need to escape, then the internet is such a valuable resource for that. And I saw the views on my channel kind of go up quite quickly when we first went into lockdown. I think people were just spending more time on their screens and on their devices and looking for content and a way to live vicariously through someone else and, and not have to focus on their own lockdown experience, I suppose. So I think that it's an industry which is pretty resistant to big changes like that in the world. We can still operate. We can continue to keep moving and keep entertainable. And, you know, those brand deals and, the, and working with companies and that kind of thing and making a profit is what allows people to continue making what is essentially a whole bank of free content that is available to you at any time. It's not the same as the TV where 
a particular show is going to be broadcast at a certain time like you have everything you could possibly want to watch all on one platform and it is free with okay an occasional five second advert that you can skip you know um so i think that yeah we're, it's it's a pretty bulletproof um system but equally it churns people out pretty quickly staying relevant for a long time is difficult i suppose um so you sort of ride the wave while you have it but eventually you'll end up back on the beach back on the sand <laughs> I'd like to take this moment to introduce to you our sponsor, Flexi, the must-have app to track and manage your subscriptions in one place. So most of us have multiple subscriptions nowadays for things like streaming services, gym memberships and food deliveries. These are great and take the hassle out of buying everyday products that we consume regularly, but it can be hard to keep track of them. That's where Flexi comes in handy, using super secure technology to connect your accounts to see all your subscriptions in a single dashboard, putting you in control of your spending. And what's more, Flexi's subscription marketplace allows you to discover new products you may love, or easy to pause, resume, or cancel in a swipe or two. So give Flexi a try, it's free to download from the App Store, or check out their website at www.flexiapp.uk. That's F L E X Y app.uk. Back to the podcast. Well, I think the, yeah, the authenticity thing probably will play a role too. So there's got lots of folks out there that maybe they're not sustainable, the model, if they're just, you know, doing anything for money, they're almost mercenary. And maybe they'll always be that part of society. Um, but um, in fact, on, on the ethical side of things, as, as far as what you wouldn't do, or do, do you have any um, guidelines yourself as far as your own values where you would draw the line um, when it comes to promoting certain brands? Um, about that at all yeah you owe it to your audience who value your opinion to value who they are and i think every time you promote something you have to consider that someone out there could spend their hard-earned cash on that product so that if you've promoted it just without even using it or something you don't actually like you have to consider that someone who looks up to you or someone who admires the content that you create and trusts you could end up going out and buying that product and hating it. Um, and if you can't guarantee that people will like it, or at least you could justify why you like it, um, then I think that's where you get into sort of tricky areas. Um, I think, yeah, you can definitely see the people who promote things like dieting pills and slimming teas that make you spend the whole day on the toilet. And I just, I would hate to think that you could be the reason that someone else spent their whole day on the toilet. It's just quite a great concept, isn't it? So, yeah, you've got to be really careful and sort of guarantee that what you are promoting, what you're working on is authentic, something you, you genuinely love and you would confidently recommend to friends or family as well as the people who you don't know but watch you through a screen. It's interesting. I've been to touch on one thing that you actually mentioned earlier um, and it was about you created a piece of content that you absolutely loved creating it yourself. But then when you put it out there, it didn't get the same reception you kind of imagined. Um, and one thing that comes with, I guess, putting your content out there and sharing with the world is you have thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that absolutely love it. But then you also have those people that come from a different angle and actually try and say stuff that puts you down. Would you be able to share with the audience a little bit, maybe about those experiences of these people that are being a bit more negative against your content and how you've kind of overcome that? 
Yeah, I think that, so what's really funny actually is that whenever we talk about like online hate or, or anything like that, we always talk about how you get over it. And I actually think it's worth drawing attention to the fact that it isn't actually that normal to send someone hate over the internet. Do you know what I mean? A lot of these things are things you would never say to someone out loud, you know, or in person. Um, the things that people comment on the video sometimes are just, can be so nasty and spiteful for like no reason. <laughs> and I think it's just worth remembering that that isn't a normal thing to do. Like that is pretty kind of, offensive and just unnecessary so I always try and say like you have to think about would you say that to the person if you saw them in the flesh and also just you have to always remember that that person who creates content and happens to have a number attached to their name which is in the thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions they will sit in their bedroom and they will scroll through their comment section and they will read what you wrote when they might be on their own, they might be having a really terrible day, you know, and it can <laughs> really suck. Um, I think it, I will never get used to people questioning things that I have never considered to be weird. Like people will say that I'm super lazy because I wake up at a certain time or that I, you know, questioning the way that I fundamentally do things, the way that I eat my cereal, the way that I hold a pencil, you know what I mean? My handwriting, people will comment on. And it's things that I've never questioned or felt insecure or doubted um, about myself, um, which are suddenly brought to attention. So I do think it's worth noting that it's not a normal thing. <laughs> it is still quite strange and it can actually be hurtful. And we don't always have to be really resilient and say, it's okay because I'm, I'm better than them. I'm stronger than them. I'm going to be the bigger person because actually it can just hurt your feelings. <laughs> it can. It or can. catch you off guard, you know. Um, exactly. Exactly. You've got these people just behind screens that you've never met before. It's somebody actually t told, mentioned to me once that kind of being famous or having big fun is like having people that you don't know having an opinion about you. And you've got these people that are behind these screens that have never met you and have actually taken the time to not one digest your content, but also leave a comment. Like it's like thinking, you've got to have a pretty sad life to actually leave a comment like that on know, somebody's content. No well, idea. I, um, I, yeah, I find some things like just so bizarre because they're also people jump to conclusions very quickly. I think that naturally we all try to kind of make sense of things. And if there's one thing we don't quite understand, we're like, oh, X must mean Y, but sometimes X means A, B or C, you know? <laughs> so um, it's, it is a strange one. The way weirdly that I kind of started to get to grips with it a bit because I have noticed that the bigger the number attached to your name gets, the less people sort of see you as a human being or le the less accessible people find you. So the more kind of outrageous they can be. <laughs> um, actually, it was through reading comments on someone I was friends with and know very well who does a similar thing to what I do. When I saw their comments and the way that people were questioning them, and from an outsider's perspective, I knew that wasn't true. Like fundamentally, I knew that wasn't true and that they were coming to irrational conclusions. And that sort of made me realize, actually, people are doing that to me as well. And I find it annoying, but it's so far from the truth. And they are such a minority of people who think that way that it made me appreciate how ridiculous it actually is. <laughs> I, you know, realizing that they'd completely just misjudged someone I knew really well. Um, and that knowing that people were also doing that about me, it kind of, there was almost a weird like solidarity and, and unity and camaraderie and being like, people hate us together. <laughs> <laughs> There's one, um, one of your YouTube videos I wanted to quickly touch on. Um, so it's where you do like an hour, an hour and 15 of studying yourself. 
and then you record all you doing the studying, but it kind of allows your audience to study alongside. How, what was the reception like of the first time you did that? Could you get hundreds of thousands of people that do watch and do sit alongside you and revise too? And actually I was reading a few comments and they love it. They, they, they get motivated. Are you able to kind of share what that's like? Yeah, I think there is a relatability in being a student and going through the education system and working it out. You know, no one actually ever tells you kind of how to study effectively or productively. You kind of are just expected to know um, or just to do it. And yeah, I think for me, like I'm, I don't think I'm a naturally super intelligent person. I think I have to work towards it. I think I have to, in terms of academics, I definitely have to work towards um, getting grades that I hoped for. Um, I have to put in the hours and I know that some people don't and some people just kind of get it straight away, but I'm just not one of those people. Um, and so for me, it's just about sharing that and being able to relate to other people and sharing what works for me that they can then try and you know not everything will work for them but if they find one thing that does make them work a lot more productively or a new way of managing their time then I think that's really powerful um so I think there's just a sense of community in that we're all going through it um together and it's a it's they call it like study tube but it's a weird thing that has arisen as kind of a niche on YouTube over the past I'd say three years um, and it sort of started around the time I started at university where, I don't know, I think people were looking for something that was relatable and that they, where they could actually see themselves in the person they were watching. It wasn't someone who was, you know, going on all these lovely luxury holidays. It was someone who was going to the library in the evening. And then when they did go on a holiday, they were staying in a hostel and they were spending, you know, as little money as possible on their flight. And I think there's something to be said for being accessible. Um, especially in the UK. I think that people who watch YouTube content by UK creators want accessibility. And the second that people stop being accessible is the second that they lose their audience. I think we've seen it with people like Zoella and, and stuff like that. I think they lost their audience the moment that they started to become a brand rather than a person. Mm, interesting. And just uh, over the next five years, do you have any ideas about what kind of message you want to put out in the world? Um, to your listeners and to your audience? Yeah, I just want to keep growing and sharing it because I went to university as someone who had no idea what I was doing. I could not turn into a tree within the first month because I just didn't know how to look after them and stuff like that, you know? And it was just literally a case of basic survival. Um, and then by the time I was graduating, I was sort of sharing things more in hindsight of like, oh, what I wish I'd known and what I would do differently now. And now I'm sort of entering a new stage where I'm back at square one of being like clueless again <laughs> and entering a new world of work, entering a new lifestyle of not being in the education system anymore. And I think I just want to keep sharing it and being honest and authentic. And I don't, I, I don't try to be relatable, but I think that it is relatable to be a young person entering the world, especially at the moment. No, there's no handbook as to how to enter a post pandemic world um, as a you know as a new graduate um which is what i am so i think that um i just want to keep sharing it and almost reassuring people that we can do it and, and um navigating it together and sharing that experience yeah well most of your content previously is again like you just said it's been all around study and stuff so what's and going back to james's question about the next five years so 
now that you're graduating Durham and what's what is the next stage of content that you've got have you got anything planned because obviously going into world of work are you going to continue blogging your world of work I mean I, yeah what's the plan I guess so I think yeah I always wanted to just film what I was doing so as I move into the next stage of you know looking for jobs or looking for somewhere to live and that kind of thing I think that is that is the next step that's the inevitable progression from being at university and being a student to now I'm a young adult entering a kind of unprecedented global situation I'd been planning <laughs> to travel a lot um this year but I don't know how feasible that will be um so I think it's just about sharing what I'm actually doing and what is going on and hoping that people want to stick by it and if they don't then fair enough <laughs> but I mean, even with going into the kind of working world, you're learning about mortgages and all that sort of thing and, and all, all that stuff that you'll be able to create into good content. Actually, people the same sort of age as us, we don't really know much about it. And then if you're sharing your experiences of that, then people will be it's really interesting sort of topics. Um, so actually, one, I wanted to jump back a little bit. So currently studying at Durham University. Well, currently on the other side of studying at Durham University, but you did a video a little while back about your goal of wanting to go to Oxford. Um, now, I wanted to delve into this. Could you maybe share, because you really wanted to go to Oxford and it was a big goal of yours. Could you share with us maybe why you wanted to go so much and actually what lessons you learned from actually getting rejected from Oxford? Yeah, so I've actually been rejected by Oxford twice now. <laughs> um, I applied for undergrad and I got an interview but didn't get in. Um, and that was one of those situations where I was like, crushed um because i when you go for the interview and you get to stay overnight and you have guinea fowl for dinner and you're just like wow this is so wonderful i feel like i'm in harry potter um i just sort of fell in love with it a little bit um they really do get your hopes up <laughs> um and then it all sort of came tumbling down and even though i don't think i'd ever expected to get in because i didn't know anyone else who had ever been there no one in my family had ever even considered it um i just wanted it for myself um, I'd sort of set that as the gold standard and I am annoying in the sense that I'll always be like, but what, what can I do that was better than what I'm currently doing? And what, or how can I level this up a little bit? So I think I just wanted the best thing possible for myself and to set myself up and with the perfect, um, I guess, higher education opportunity and experience, but didn't work out. And then ended up going to Durham, which I think was the perfect place for me. Um, I think things have a funny way of working out. And maybe I would be saying that if I got into Oxford, I'd be like, ah, uh, everything happened for a reason. I was meant to go here. But I've tried to make the best of the opportunity and I've had the most amazing time. So then I actually reapplied to Oxford for a master's uh, only because the course was exactly what I wanted to study. I'd sort of felt like I was ready to move on to a new place. And I looked at loads of other uh, universities and it was the only course that I really loved so i did reapply and then get in again but i kind of now don't really mind i kind of feel okay about it um i'm really pleased that i'm on a gap year now um when i first got that rejection through it was like okay fine if rejection is redirection why has this happened this wasn't the plan this is i don't know what i'm going to do next but things just work out and when you're put into that position you you make adjustments and you recalibrate and you reset yourself and you go again um yeah i mean i don't 
I didn't even just apply to Oxford because of its kind of prestige. It was more because of the experience I'd had at Durham and I wanted just the next kind of the next step to be different. And yeah, so whatever happens, it will be okay. <laughs> but I guess that was sort of a goal that I'd set for myself, which didn't work out, but that's, I kind of feel fine about it. I'm quite, quite laid back about it now. Yeah. Yeah. that's good. I mean, looking back at sort of your track record, you mentioned earlier that you've, like some people just kind of automatically get the grades, but like you said, you have to work for a bit more, but looking back at kind of your in terms of the track record, it's straight A stars at A level. It's now Durham university. You've always got top A's in most of your education and you've managed to build this following of 200 to 15,000. Where did that drive drive from actually going back? Probably is there, can you just go into that? Like where did that drive always come from? Have you got an inspiration, your parents, have your parents always pushed you? Are you able to share us a bit about that? Yeah, I don't, I kind of don't know really. I think I am quite, growing up I was very malleable in terms of when I saw someone else doing something that I admired, I was like, I want to be like them. Um, and so I feel like you can always keep improving yourself. I'm such a big believer in like each new week is a chance to do something new and reset and, and have a new goal. And each academic year is a new chance to set yourself a new targets. Um, so I think it almost weirdly comes from myself because my parents have never put pressure on me to be super academic or, you know, they would have been absolutely buzzing had I got grades that were considerably lower than what I did end up getting but it just comes I don't know what it is it just comes kind of from within me that I'm like I just there's always a step better that I can be and I can always keep improving and even within a top grade bracket I'm like I want to I don't just want to get the grade I don't want to scrape it I want to get like a comfortable grade or I want to get the top mark that you can possibly get because I just I don't know I think I hold myself at a bit too high a standard and it can be a little bit destructive um or detrimental sometimes but yeah it's a weird one because it definitely the pressure comes from myself um and possibly I would say now that I have an online audience there's an awareness of having to share it like no matter what I get it was it will be public (laughs) and what I do next will be public so um yeah I think that I I just hold myself to quite a high standard which I would not recommend to anyone um but I think holding yourself to a a certain standard is is still useful because it makes you motivated to actually genuinely want to go and spend those hours in the library and want to read this extra reading or whatever um i think if someone's sort of twisting your arm and forcing you to do things it makes you reluctant and resentful um so if you find a course that you're genuinely passionate about and a cause that you're passionate about then i think naturally you sort of work hard at it and want to do as well as you can So yeah, I've tried to be kind to myself in terms of follow the things that I actually really care about. Um, And that'll take me further than trying to do something because it will impress (laughs) my parents, friends that they meet on dog walks or, you know, that they can brag about. I'd rather be doing something for me that I can be genuinely proud of myself. (laughs) So um, have you ever read the book um, Drive by Daniel Pink? I think it's Daniel Pink. I I know his last name's Pink. Um, and actually, before you even mentioned about your your internal drivers, I was actually thinking that you know what drives you is intrinsic. Um, it's not from external, and it, just the way that you do your vlogs and your blogs and the content you put out there, this is really authentic. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's really inspiring actually. Uh, but um, as far as your upbringing, it sounds like you had um, an emo- quite a, a good emotional support um, from your parents. Um, so you had, the, but but they but they're not the ones that were pushing you. So you you've kind of created 
you set your own bar and you've pursued your own um, dreams and ideas. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's really interesting to, to you know, I'm, I'm fascinated in the psychology of what drives people. And of course, you know, if you, if you dangle a carrot and it's, you know, we, you know, a lot of jobs, you know, you work for your, it's, it's this value exchange, isn't it? You, you work hours and you get, you know, you get paid for your, your, your value exchange, but actually setting your own um, goals and, and pursuing them uh, and you're not doing it for money. You're doing it because you believe in it. Uh, and it's almost like the more value that you create, um, the money just follows, you know, it's, it's authentic value. And the more people you can add value to, you know, you would think economics, you know, that there's going to be, you know, you're going to be able to do it. The resources will just appear. And it sounds like that's the journey you've been on. So were you always this driven? I mean, it sounds like, so at 14, obviously your world started changing and, you know, from the very first rejection you had from the, the newspaper. Um, what were you like pre-14? Were you always pushing yourself um, or were you pretty laid back? Um, can you talk a little, a little bit about that? So for our listeners out there who, are, who might be 14, I mean, like I mentioned, my, my youngest daughter's 12. Um, is there any message that you would send to these people? What, what were your experiences? Uh, because I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, and I think our listeners will be too. Yeah, I don't think that pre-14, I can really remember being very proactive or setting things up for myself I think I was just kind of you know just floating and just living quite <laughs> peacefully and you know um just existing I think probably that age like 14 is probably the age where I remember thinking about okay I've got to create these opportunities for myself I think that some people have a big step up I was definitely not aware of it at the time in terms of you know, people who go to super expensive schools. And I've become a lot more aware of it having been to university and seeing how many people had a massive step up in life. Um, but for me, it was just kind of at that stage, I just sort of thought, okay, no one's gonna, no one's gonna walk into this room right now and offer me a column in a newspaper. Like if I want it, I need to reach out to them and put together a CV and, and put together some work that I've done and kind of create the opportunity for myself. So yeah, I think my, my parents taught me about hard work for sure. Like, and I think you pick things up like that from watching them, but I think that they didn't create an atmosphere where I felt like I was a failure if I wasn't, you know, being super proactive all the time. I think it was kind of okay to just <laughs> enjoy life as well. That's nice, that's nice. They didn't put any pressure on you. You know, you, you found your own motivation. And then, yeah, and then it does really come from within to actually think, okay, I want to create <laughs> a good life for myself. And I want, if I can see someone else doing it, then why can't I, if that makes sense? So, um, and whenever you kind of hear other people's stories, it, it does always happen almost by accident, but because they put themselves into the position for that accident to even occur, um, then that's how they ended up sort of reaching a bigger audience or hitting that you know milestone they wanted to hit or reaching that promotion that they wanted so yeah that point you're saying about the kind of putting yourself in that position to create these opportunities we've seen that consistently quite from the previous episodes and people we've spoken to it is that sort of it is all about put, opportunities will present you but you have to create them yourself and you put yourself in that position and created those which led you on to where you are kind of today and also a huge lesson for me has just been like 
appreciating the value of every person that you meet because you just never know. And being nice to everyone is so valuable as a kind of life <laughs> motto, I suppose, to just like treat everyone with kindness and work hard. <laughs> like, I don't know, I think that when I've been on set on certain things or been to events and networking, you never know who you have a good chat with and then you know six months down the line they end up having an opportunity that will really you know value you so that's been one of my biggest lessons is that often it is about who you know but it's also about how you treat them exactly I mean you mentioned about just them being on set what is actually I'd be interested to know the best experience you've had so out of all of this you've been doing so you've done huge amounts of well deals with all sorts of questions what's the best one the best experience you've had I spoke in the Houses of um, Parliament, which was a pretty cool experience because I had been a year prior to that, I took an A-level politics exam where I was writing about select committees. And then a year later, I was asked to be on one. And I think that was pretty crazy to, and to be talking about, you know, what I do uh, as a hobby and as a job uh, in that environment. But also um, working for BBC Bite Size has been a really cool one for me um, because when I sent that first email to a company, um, you know, being like, I'd love to write for you. Um, that was the kind of first step in what I saw as kind of a presenting career or anything like that. Um, so when I was asked to present for the BBC, that was the kind of pinch me moment. And then I guess the ultimate one is uh, writing a book, being asked to write a book, which was always my biggest kind of dream in my whole life was to one day walk into my local bookshop and see my own book in the shop and that will happen in August this year so that kind of blows my little brain a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and you've got your planner coming out tomorrow haven't you I do it's coming out today oh, today yeah um but the book was a really interesting one because um one of my viewers so a girl who had watched my youtube videos was doing work experience for HarperCollins when they were talking about this book that they were going to do about university and who they should get to write it. And she was the person who threw my name in the, in the ring. Um, yeah, so um, it, it kind of happened because someone had just happened to watch content that I put on YouTube, never expecting it to lead to that. But um, yeah, it's kind of the, a weird way that things sometimes <laughs> end up transpiring <laughs> no that's awesome so the plan is out tomorrow today sorry yes i think it's been a few and not not long now i remember seeing it on your story yeah like counting down the hours yeah. now <laughs> yeah so as your audience probably knows everything about you because they've lived your life for the last bit is there anything that you can share that maybe they don't know um probably i guess the, the work that goes on behind the scenes in terms of the making things happen and the book doesn't just <laughs> appear you know it takes a lot of writing and a lot of squeezing in a quick five minutes to upload the video or, or, you know, write another section as part of a chapter. Um, it really is a bit of a chaotic, uh, roller coaster. <laughs> it's sort like of behind a, the scenes. Yeah. Decathlon, um, <laughs> constantly, but, um, of trying to have your hand in, you have your finger in more pies than Paul Hollywood, but yeah, I think it's just the hard work that goes on into each individual thing. Um, I guess that's the kind of bit that you, you don't see because you just get the final product. <laughs> you see the, fi the final video, the final book. The very, yeah, the very glamorous like, big reveal or the it's already been uploaded and all the little technical errors have been edited out and the stumbling on your words, all of that stuff gets gets cut. So are you, are you a man of routine? 
um, what, what does your days look like? Or do they, they change? I, I know you're crazy busy doing all these, the books and the vlogs and this and that, and you're up till four in the morning editing. Do you have kind of a day? Do you get up early? Do you get up late? Do you work late? You're late bird, early bird. Yeah, I love routine, but my lifestyle and like the, the hobbies that I have and the job that I have are literally the antithesis of having routine. Like YouTube, working for yourself, all of those things are, you actually can do it. You could be nocturnal if you wanted to be, but I don't. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I actually almost try to forge a routine. So I'm trying, especially now I'm trying to look for routine to be like, I want to get up at the same time every morning because I think that's better for your, your head. I want to be having my meals at specific times because I'm seeing it already now that I don't have, you know, I'm not living with anyone else. I'm not living with my parents. I can, like last night I ate dinner at 11 p.m. That's not normal. <laughs> no, it's definitely not good for my inner workings. So... I think that, um, yeah, I try to forge a routine as much as possible because I think that's when I'm most productive. One final thing, actually, I wanted to, look, we're getting run out of time, unfortunately, but I'd like to quickly ask you, um, so if we could arrange a coffee for you, um, who would you choose and why? Yeah, I've got a bit of a rogue answer, but genuinely, I would have a coffee with Stormzy because I think he is awesome. He, obviously, he started <laughs> with a, just a, a career doing something that he loved, like, grime and rap and making music that's his passion right but the way that he has expanded that and utilized his influence that he has for the most incredible things the way that he you know he set up scholarships for um, black students to go to Cambridge he started his own um, publishers um, who are promoting really important empowering groundbreaking books like um, taking up space um, is an incredibly important book. Um, he is facilitating that and he's giving other people a step up to have the voice that they otherwise wouldn't have. And I think be, being able to pass the microphone to someone else, for, in Stormzy's case, quite literally a microphone, but for all of us, I think, of influence or where other people will listen to you then there's a, there's a stage where you actually need to think about what's just as important and who else you can sort of facilitate and support. So I think he's awesome. I think that he is so incredible at what he does and the way that he makes the most of the opportunity that he's given. You, we never know how long these things are going to last and what our kind of shelf life will be, especially in the entertainment industry. But I think that he makes the most of every single day and every opportunity. So. I would Great love answer. to rack his brains. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to see if we can get that set up. <laughs> yeah, get Stormzy on the podcast. That would be cool. Uh, so, Peter, you've been very quiet in there. Do you have, I know before um, Jack goes, do you have a question for Jack? Uh, Peter's generally got pretty decent questions there, s- sitting there in the corner listening. I guess, yeah, there's another kind of advice kind of question. And you mentioned about the definition between the brand and the person. Mm. Um, obviously, you still you keep quite a lot of your old content online, your blog. That yeah. written blog that you don't update anymore but um is that have you made a conscious decision to keep that and be happy and kind of not feel that that detracts from the content that you make now not that it's hugely removed but you're just like this is me this is my journey yeah. um and i guess poss- possibly with younger listeners 
I feel they are very controlled with how they're viewed online, whether that's like Instagram and archiving, like only having nine images and being really kind of controlling. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have on kind of being a bit more relaxed with that and just kind of letting it be out there? Yeah, I like that it isn't perfect. And I deleted so many things in the past from Instagram, from Twitter, whatever, which I would love to look back on now. And I think at the time when you only have six months in between the you who wrote that stuff and the you who you have now evolved and become. Because I think that we should always be kind of working on ourselves and being the next best version of ourselves or whatever. When you are at that next best version and the previous version is quite recent, I think it's really easy to delete and pretend it never happened. But actually in hindsight, when you look back at it, you'll love it and you'll appreciate the journey so much more when you can visibly see it. So yeah, I think that... I spent a lot of the people who are who have a big following, their feed is very curated. It's very um, they found their niche, but it it doesn't just come out of nowhere. You have to you have to find it and uncover it. And so for me, it was like about experimenting with this type of blog post and then this type of video, and then eventually I kind of fell into what I create now. Um, but it was all part of a process. It didn't just happen where I was like, I am now going to be a university YouTuber. Like that was never the plan. Um, and that ended up kind of becoming my thing. <laughs> so yeah, I think I just appreciate being able to see the whole journey. And I think it's important for other people to know as well that it, you experiment and share the things that you're really passionate about. And if no one else is doing it, then that is better. That's not a negative thing. It's not something you should be ashamed of. It's something you should be proud of and passionate about even more because someone else out there will find it interesting and want to hear your story, I guess. Oh, that's a really good message. That's really, really good. Okay, I have one more question, I promise, then we'll let you go. <laughs> so um, if you were to give one piece of advice to our listeners, um, what would that be? I think to be unashamedly you, because you actually can be successful just by being yourself and being true to the things that you're passionate about, your hobbies, your beliefs, the things that you see in the world as injustices or as things that there are gaps in the market for. Um, there isn't always a reason that there's that gap. And, or sometimes the reason is just that no one else has been brave enough to fill that gap. So if you are passionate about it, then make that content and you just never ever know where it will take you and it will probably surprise you. <laughs> That's a great bit of advice. And one final thing, where do people find your journey? Where can they follow your story on social media? I'm on YouTube. Um, if you search Jack Edwards, hopefully I'll come <laughs> up. <laughs> if not, I've not done very well at SEO. Um, and then all my social media is at Jack Ben Edwards. Excellent. Brilliant. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jack, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been, it's been great to have you on. Thank you Thank you all for listening to another episode of RocketPod. Join us next week as we chat to Rose Dyson, who in 2018 was named as the UK's most promising teen CEO with her brand Pure Cosmetics. You definitely don't want to miss that conversation. Of course, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Flexi, who is the must-have app to track and manage your subscriptions all in one place. If you haven't downloaded it already, download it from the App Store and start managing your subscriptions. From myself, James and Peter... Have an awesome week and we'll see you next time.